Hello, and welcome back to Diabetics Doing Things. We're telling the amazing stories of people with diabetes from all over the world. And today, Eritrea and I are back in the booth. We're just going to get in here and cook up a little something, a little podcast on the fly. We were having a conversation via text yesterday, and we have a lot of updates from my side of things. Uh, Eritrea has a lot of updates as well. So we're just going to dig in and talk about that without a guest. So if you're looking for an inspirational interview with somebody, we've got plenty. Uh, we've done a lot of episodes recently, so feel free to check out some of those. But if you really want to know what's going on with me and what's going on with Eritrea and some of our thoughts about just general things, uh, feel free to dig into this episode. It's going to be uh, really exciting. I actually put a lot of thought and time and effort into answering some questions that even I've been thinking about. So you ready to dig into it? I would say we're digging deep today. It's going to get real emotional lots of tea my favorite <laughs> yeah nothing like some spillage of the tea and when you were talking about emotional i will say there is a content warning here because we we're going to talk about some serious uh diabetes stuff namely dead in the bed syndrome so we have some content coming up on the podcast soon that addresses it but we wanted to have this episode primarily just to introduce the concept talk about uncomfortable things because as we know there are complications associated with diabetes and real risks so if you're uncomfortable talking about dead in the bed syndrome, you can skip towards more the middle of this podcast because we're going to spend a, a good chunk of the beginning of this conversation about dead in the bed syndrome. So just a content warning for you guys. But first, what's up with diabetics doing things? Uh, and like a little bit of background uh, behind what we've been doing at DDT the last few months. I know a lot of you saw our announcement earlier in September about the North Texas Food Bank collaboration. Uh, happy to report that that is live. And we're actually, uh, we have a few people who've already interacted with our form and gotten in touch with our resources. And an interesting finding is that all the people thus far are over the age of 60. So as we think about, and I think this is really an inspiring me to think differently about a lot of things, we're great at social media. We've done 250 plus podcasts. We, I'm, you know, Mister, you know, Takeover, Mister Stories, Mister Reels, <laughs> whatever. And sometimes I forget that a lot of the people that live with diabetes are over the age of 60 and are not as, you know, tech forward, not as comfortable, not as engaged on social media. But they need our help as well. So, really, kind of excited to dig into helping the people who are, have been living with diabetes for a long time, as well as people who have been recently diagnosed uh, later in their life with uh, autoimmune conditions like LADA, for example, uh, and giving them and bringing them into the community, giving them some new information and hopefully some encouragement on how they can live their lives you know, a little bit better. I think because we are people who are so on the internet, sometimes you forget not everybody is. And when we're talking about a community of people who are over the age of 55, and we want to make this information accessible to them because one day we will be over the age of 55. Uh, it's important that we're a little bit more intentional with it. So I'm really excited for this. I, I love our North Texas Food Bank collaboration. I'm such a lame Every time I'm on vacation, I'm like talking about it with random people. And they're just like, what is wrong with this girl? But I think it's important that we think about people with diabetes and what we can do to assist them instead of just constantly, you know, putting the onus on them as patients. I'm glad that you said that you're excited because I'm also excited. And I think, you know, where excitement, you know, what breeds excitement often is a good indicator that you should spend more time doing that. So uh, working with the North Texas Food Bank on education, uh, not, not only for the senior population, but also for the youth and for the families uh, is something that we're going to be doing really, I don't know, until they tell us we can't do it with them anymore. So yeah, until they I, kick us out. <laughs> yeah. Until, until they're like, guys, that's too much. Uh, but uh, 
they haven't given us any indication that that's happening and they've been great partners and I'm really excited to continue to to help uh, people of North Texas and hopefully uh, beyond as well. Because I, I've heard this said a few times and I'm paraphrasing, but a society that doesn't care about its seniors or neglects its seniors truly is doomed. Uh, like, cause like you said, we will all be seniors someday. Uh, I already feel like a senior sometimes. We're going to talk a little bit about some TikToks later. Uh, I already feel, you know, my senior years are coming on as these younger creators are doing their thing and they're just a little bit more unhinged than I've ever been. And oh my goodness. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, again, we've just got to make sure that we continue to deliver to the people who helped pave the way for where we are today. And I've said this before on the podcast, but we stand on the shoulders of giants who went before us, not just the bloggers of 10, 15 years ago and the people who had the first diabetes podcast and the first diabetes social media accounts, but also the people who were boiling syringes in 1960, who were using animal insulin, who only dreamt of a day where they could have a hybrid closed loop system or a continuous glucose monitor. So we can't take their struggle and the, and the path work, the, the ground work that they laid for granted. So, A, if you're a senior listening to this, thank you. And and B, uh, more cool stuff coming for you. Absolutely. And absolutely. I think that's part of um, what I want to cover in the next section, which is preparing for big evolutions at Diabetics Doing Things. We've done some pretty cool stuff over the past seven years. We talked about the number of podcasts. We've I, I just got back from my second international trip from, from diabetes. Uh, I did all those speaking, uh, at JDRF and ADA and beyond type one events, met a ton of people in the community and hopefully, uh, you know, walked away from some of those interactions, feeling better about their life with diabetes than they went into them. But I think that there's real, a real opportunity, uh, for a company like us, uh, that is not a nonprofit, uh, that is, uh, you know, more on the content focused piece of things, to deliver practical applications for people with diabetes. And that is where that North Texas Food Bank collaboration falls. It's it's a practical application. It's simple technology. It wasn't expensive. Uh, it's easy to use. And it's mostly done on no-code platforms. So you know we're not developers necessarily, but we can come up with an idea and solve it with technology in a way that's good for people with diabetes. And I think that there are a lot more opportunities for that in other areas as well. So that's kind of where we're shifting our focus at Diabetics Doing Things. We are going to continue to do the podcast. And for me personally, that is why we're here. Uh, and that's honestly what I bring to the table in terms of my best skill set. So we're going to keep potting. And well, quit. If you get rid of the pot, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to have the podcast. So we're going to continue to do that. But what we're also going to do is open up opportunities for people with diabetes to get paid for their art, for their content, for their passions, and also for their work. Uh, even if you aren't an amazing artist or you're not a content creator, but you have a role that you can fill, you know, we've got our job board live now. Uh, we're going to be hiring people at Diabetics Doing Things eventually. And if if you just want to contribute your work to making life easier or, or making cool practical applications for people with diabetes, there's going to be opportunities for you. And I want Diabetics Doing Things to lead in that space. So more to come on that. Uh, don't hold my feet to the fire for a, a deadline, but the zine earlier this year also was a really good test case for a, what type of effort that project takes and spoiler alert, it was a ton. And Bob also almost died. No, I'm going <laughs> to tell them he really almost man's almost died. Like we, we started the project at the beginning of the year. We really wanted to get more than just one zine out, but after going through this amazing project with such amazing diabetic content creators, 
it was a little bit more of a labor of love than I think you expected it to be because you were definitely burning that midnight oil. <laughs> well, I, and you guys who have listened to this podcast for a long time know I am a guy that likes to do both. So if there's two options, how can we do both of them? That's what I'm going to try to do. And so with this one, I think with all the things in my professional life, uh, with all the other responsibilities and diabetics doing things and partnerships and the rub how having diabetes, machine, having diabetes, right? <laughs> Wanting to like be a good partner to my wife. It was a lot of stuff. I was definitely burning the candle at both ends. And, uh, you know, my sister told me something a couple of years ago that the brightest candle burns out the fastest. And I definitely felt that. Uh, and I also felt that you really can't pour from an empty cup. And so Eritrea and Ashley and my recreation employees have been dealing with me for the past week since I got back from vacation. And I'm like moving at a million miles an hour because my cup is filled. I was able to rest. I was able to get away. And now I'm psyched and motivated to get back to the work. So uh, we're going to continue to do that. Uh, we're going to continue to create opportunities for people with diabetes. And I'm also going to manage my time and expectations a little bit more disciplined. Yay. So you can quote me on that. Okay, good. I will hold to your, your feet to the fire. Also, we all could probably do a better job of managing our time responsibilities so that we could better serve ourselves. I know that's something that I am also struggling with. So yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we talk about it in jest, uh, that, you know, I was, uh, that I was a literal skeleton walking around. Uh, but also it made me really ornery. And a lot of people, I think uh, were like, why is Rev so angry all the time? And it's like, I thought that? you were mad at me. I was like, why is he so mad at me? And Ashley was like, he's not, he's just dressed up. <laughs> yeah. I think it, Ashley is the, uh, always the barometer for how we're all doing. So that's good. Very grateful for her. Our worst of reason, but yeah, lots happening with us. And we're really, I, can't wait to see who else we get to work with with these types of projects and what we get to bring to the table to the diabetes community. So it's exciting, exciting times, change is coming. And, uh, you know, I think if you have stuck with us from day one, I just want to shout you out and we're going to give you more opportunities to engage with us and also uh, get a, look, a few like membership badges and like some things like that that are just fun, uh, community focused and really uh, help us. We, we're built around diabetes, but it doesn't, your whole life doesn't have to be diabetes all the time. Right. Uh, and I have met some of my closest and awesome friends and collaborators from diabetes, but what we have in common so often is everything outside of it. So I want to really dig into that, uh, in the future as well. While we're talking about community and the people that we've, uh, had on the pod and just how much we want to bring to like practical solutions and solvable problems, we recently had a guest and we'll probably put this episode out later with Aaron Dodge. And I know we want to talk a little bit about dead in the bed syndrome in this segment. Um, and I'm, I'm struggling to find the words. Help me, friend. Well, of course. Yeah. So dead in the bed syndrome, first of all, the title definitely gets the point across. Uh, and, you know, so I'm going to read you guys uh, from Diabetes UK what they, how they define dead in the bed syndrome. So the syndrome is characterized as when someone with insulin dependent diabetes has gone to bed seemingly perfectly fine and has been found dead in an undisturbed bed. So dead in the bed syndrome. Uh, from those statistics, they say that these deaths account for 6% of the T1 related deaths under the age of 40. So they made an estimation like the most common uh, death for people with diabetes is from diabetic ketoacidosis. And that is okay. estimated about 3% of the total population of people with type one diabetes. So again, this is just a segment, but 6% of people under the age of 40, according to this study, um, 6% of the deaths uh, were from dead in the bed syndrome. So not a, uh, an insignificant amount. And I mean, I think, I think the number, sorry to interrupt you, but 
that six percent might seem like a number it's like okay whatever but I, what if that person is you yeah that right number bugs me <laughs> something that i read during the uh the early days of the COVID pandemic when we were reporting on like daily deaths and like daily cases is that in macroeconomic or macro statistics about human life our brains cannot process multiple deaths so and, and what i mean by that is the example that they gave was that when you say 30 people died at in an accident your brain sees that number not necessarily the individuals you don't have a, you don't have the ability to see 30 individuals you can only see the number but when someone says oh a, a close friend of you has passed away or someone that you know has died it's much easier for us to focus in on the loss because we see the person not the number so again that that back to those percentages context is everything so 6% of all the deaths of people with diabetes is a lot of deaths so those are all individuals and you know for you personally as somebody who's lived with diabetes for longer than i have and also has known a lot more people in the diabetes community as well as through camp sweeney you have lost friends and mutual acquaintances to dead in the bed syndrome i've lost a lot of friends and a lot of mutual acquaintances to dead in the bed syndrome um it's really wild to think about like uh, being so normalized to death, almost like to the point where you don't plan for a future when you're a little kid. Cause you know, so many people have passed from diabetes. Uh, I can, it, it's just, it's hard. Um, I think one of the first people that I knew passed was while I was at like camp Sweeney, we were at uh, it's a second session camp. She was supposed to come to camp. She didn't come to camp. And then while we were at the session, we found out that she had passed away and it was really, really, really sad, but no one really explained to us like what happened or that, you know, I think later on there was like rumors of like drug use and alcohol and things like that, but that's still not a good reason to pass away from diabetes. And I think that when something like that happens, when you're like 11 years old, it just kind of like uh, starts and then it becomes a pattern, right? When like every year someone else passes away. So it's, it's weird. Uh, I've always felt very blessed to know so many people with diabetes. Uh, but these last two years have been really, really difficult because I think that the people that have passed away have been a little bit like closer to home for me. Uh, and it's just been hard to deal with. I'm so, I'm very sorry for your loss. And I think you're right. Um, many people who were diagnosed I think before a certain time, let's call that time like the year 2000. Um, but even around there, maybe there's like a variance of three to five years. We're told that you will not live past a certain age, no matter what age they were. So yeah. I think when you talk about that relationship with death, um, you know, it's it, for people with diabetes, it's sort of very real. Right. And I think that they hear that uh, probably far too often we get introduced to the idea that, oh, if you take too much insulin and insulin and don't get enough carbs, you could pass away. And I think yeah. that's just always the risk. Like we laugh about it on, uh, on the meme diabetes community of like, oh, taking my 10 minute walk better bring my supplies. And it's just this whole bag full of things. But, uh, even though it is funny, it's very real, you know, caught without in the wrong situation without the right things, you could really be in trouble from a severe low blood sugar. Um, I think it's funny to us because that's how we cope. Right. I think that true. there's, there's only one way to like understand the gravity of having something in your pocket that could literally kill you. Because like, if you're, if you give your, like, if you overdose on insulin, like you absolutely will pass away. So it's like this, uh, idea that like, I'm taking medication that is life-saving, but could also kill me at the same time. So like, how do we cope with that? Um, we make jokes all the time, but then when things like someone passes, actually passes away. It, 
it really hits home, especially like for me recently, we right after, so we recorded an episode with Aaron Dodge and right after we recorded that episode, like literally four days later, Dr. Kadira, who's a very sweet lady and a part of my uh, positive on glucose support group, which is my Middle Eastern diabetes support group, she passed away from dead in bed syndrome and she left behind an 11 month old baby and a husband. And she was a doctor. She was someone who contributed to the community. She was aware of all the things that could happen when you have hypoglycemia. Like it was truly an accident. And it just makes you think like, first of all, we all don't get to live forever, right? So I'm just grateful that I got to experience her and Allah, like may Allah rest her soul. But at the same time, it just makes, it really just brings it into perspective. Like what can I do so that it's not me? Yeah. Well, and I think there are ultimately, sometimes ultimately there's really nothing you can do, right? Uh, like you said, it's a tough balance. We really are injecting ourselves with a small liquid that just a little bit too much could mean the end of us. And I think that's the thing we don't talk about very much because it's scary and it's uncomfortable. Um, I have a, a story that I'll tell you off the pot. I don't want to reveal it now because one of my old clients actually uh, had a situation where he was almost murdered by someone trying to give him insulin while he was asleep. And so I'm hoping to get him on the podcast uh, just to talk about that because that is crazy. And I think a lot of us would be interested in it. So sorry to tease that without any real information. But for me, I wanted to share a story of when I heard of dead in the bed syndrome for the first time outside of the doctor's office, because I think they go over it with you when you're a kid at Children's in Dallas, they have like a full day of diabetes education. And I feel like it was in one of the pamphlets. So I had heard it before, but I had a mutual friend in college. And I think that her sister actually listens to the podcast or has listened to it at some point. So if you're listening out there, uh, this is you, <laughs> but, uh, I had just gotten my insulin pump approved. And so I was actually required to wear it on my belt clip, but un unhooked, which in hindsight without a CGM, like seems really stupid, but they were just trying to get me comfortable with the, like the technology and like using the carb calculator and all that stuff. Uh, so she saw it and she was like, oh my God, I will never let my kid have an insulin pump because of dead in the bed syndrome. And, you know, at the time insulin pumps didn't connect to CGM. So they didn't know when your blood sugar was low. So no matter what your blood sugar was, they were going to continue to give you the programmed amounts of basal, uh, which is, I think one of the unspoken benefits of hybrid closed loop and looping therapy is that if your blood sugar is going down, the algorithms stop giving you insulin, which is a huge life hack. Very nice. Um, so you know, she was like, I'm not going to let my kid wear a pump. And like, obviously me on day one of my pump, I don't recommend like telling someone that like, cause a, I'm a little bit of a, you guys know me. I'm a little bit of an alpha male. I was very much an alpha male at age 19. Uh, and I didn't want to be told what to do or what, you know, what was going to happen to me. And I was, you know, kind of a control freak like that. But so I kind of like bristled inside. I was like, Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. I was like, why are you telling me this? Um, and, uh, you know, was very committed to not letting my pump kill me. So very uh, glad that I, that I, you know, made good on that promise. But anyway, all, all that to say, hypo and awareness. Let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, you, me, you deal with it more me. than I do, I think. But at the same time, I, I kind of have this really weird relationship with hypos that now that I have a CGM, I feel like I feel them less than I did before because I can see the number and like, I trust the number and it's like, oh, that's how I feel. But I I'm still very hypo aware relative to the rest of the diabetes population, but you remember and many other people with diabetes who've lived for with it for many years, experience extreme hypo and awareness at times. 
remember when we did the like I think this is two episodes back or like the last time we did the mailbag and you were like air trail what's your blood sugar and I was like ah, I'm kind of thirsty I think it's like 210 and I looked at it and my blood sugar was like 98 two arrows down so like I am extremely hypo and aware I don't know why it also really sucks uh because I won't really feel it until it's like kind of too late so gvoke is my life forever um but yeah, hypoanalysis is really not fun. Uh, it can be really scary and people should be prepared for it at all times. But that's also why I have my alarms on, on my pump and on my CGM. And if they're annoying, I don't care because they keep me alive. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's always the the dichotomy between the alarms is that I want them to let me know when I'm in trouble and I also want to sleep. So it's just the, the tough pull, the tough struggle there. Um, as I was kind of Googling around, preparing for this episode. Like I said, guys, I've been really on my stuff. I found this website from Diabetes UK called hypoprogram.com. And it's a free program uh, that's built to help you and people around you gain hypo awareness. Uh, I was looking at it. It's not like a system to like get you to where you can feel your lows, but it's really just an educational system for you and people around you uh, for you to tell them what a low blood sugar looks like and what it feels like. And I think this is a really great transition into our next topic of conversation because you sent me yesterday, Eritrea, a TikTok, Girl. Um, which, you know, again, we're talking about hard stuff today. I so wish that I could send this TikTok to my dear friend, Tom Shear, who has passed away uh, because it's all the things that he loves. Uh, it's, it's gay excellence, first of all, uh, yeah. and, and, and B, it's, uh, it's a hilarious story that's terrifying about a light, a night out, uh, with diabetes and, uh, a group of friends who, uh, take some edibles. Uh, they don't really say what kind, but they take some, but drugs. his friends didn't know what to do. Like that was, that was okay. So like TLDR start from the very beginning, Rob. <laughs> yeah. So we were watching this TikTok, and he tells a story about, um, him and his friends going to a concert, uh, or a party and taking some edibles prior. And, their friend with diabetes during the, as, as the edibles are hitting, as they're on the train on their way to this show in a new city for the first time, New York, uh, in New York uh, for the <laughs> first time, which if you've never been to New York, uh, riding the subway is like, it's a rite of passage and you have to get used to it. It's very different. and can be very confusing. There's a ton of trains. So, uh, especially if you're on edibles and again, I'm not advocating the use of drugs, but I am talking about it because I know people use drugs, uh, especially now that, uh, edibles are legal in the United States in many places, marijuana edibles. So a, I think this is a really great conversation to talk about how to talk to your friends about your diabetes. And I'll use myself as an example as well. Uh, and B, really from a safety perspective, I don't care if you have diabetes or not, if there's any chance that a that you will have a medical emergency and you are planning to take drugs, you need to have somebody there who can be your spotter, who can be your guide, who can be your Gandalf on the, on the, <laughs> on the way to Rivendell, so to speak. Somebody who has been there before and knows what to look for, because I think this TikTok, while it's really funny uh, and the format is is very silly, it's a true story that many of you who are listening have for sure experienced something like where you're around all your friends, you do not have a way to treat a low blood sugar and you are rapidly losing consciousness. So uh, we're going to link that in the show notes. Please check it out. It's really funny. Comment a story on it because I think it's really important that when we as a diabetes community can encounter these videos that are reaching tons of people, millions of people have liked this video. Uh, so really this video- have. 
They've done more for this video's done more for hypo awareness and like awareness of the symptoms of diabetes than almost all of the other nonprofits and side projects and diabetics doing things like things combined because of the way that they did it. So go watch the TikTok and here are my tips. Wait, you have to tell them the person lived for all the okay, people yeah, living with yeah. anxiety, like myself. Jesus, you have to let. Them well, know I didn't the want to spoil. Okay. I didn't want to spoil the TikTok. Uh, but yes, they they lived. Thankfully, they lived. Uh, so go watch the TikTok and uh, and also make shout out to good friends. Shout out to yeah. good friends who are really yeah. you know trying their best in in a, in a in a tough situation. So. I'll tell you what my parents told my friends. I was diagnosed at 16. You guys know that. So I had this close group of friends. Um, I'm still close with many of them today. And my parents just basically made it their duty that whenever my friends were coming over to hang out with me or we were leaving, they would like take one of them aside and be like, okay, Rob has diabetes now. If he's ever passed out, you stick him in the leg with this. And they showed him the, the GEK glucagon kit. Uh, and they were the like, red one. the red box, you know, which are actually getting discontinued at the end of the year. So, uh, more so to come long. on that. We've got some, uh, got some cool content coming out on the podcast actually, uh, about that. So, uh, more to come on that soon, but so have the conversation with your friends of what to do in an emergency, talk about the symptoms of low blood sugar of hypoglycemia. It'll be really quick. And guess what? They will know. Uh, they will definitely know when you're having uh, a low blood sugar incident. Uh, I need to pause really quick because my phone CGM alarm just made a noise and that usually stops the recording. So hang on one second. So talking about the symptoms, one of my training partners when I was playing basketball uh, was named Dwight Coleman. Uh, and he could always tell, he said, because my eyes would move weird. He could always tell when I was about to have a low blood sugar during a workout. Um, and it's also really apparent because you get way more sweaty than you probably should be, but in a workout that can be confusing, but I also go really pale. So, uh, go over the symptoms with your friends. And if you, again, I'm going to say it one more time, I'm not advocating for the use of drugs, but if you are going to take any kind of hallucinogen or any kind of drug please, or, drinking. or drinking or alcohol, please have a person there who is your spotter. They don't have to necessarily be sober, but we all know that friend in the friend group who's the most responsible, please. And, and sometimes the people with diabetes are that person. So make sure that if you're going to Vegas or if you're going out on the town and, and you're going to make some, uh, let's not call them bad decisions, but you're questionable, on, questionable. <laughs> you know, these guys in this TikTok that we watched are basically thinking they're going to have the best night of their lives. And it was quickly turned the other way. So uh, just remember having those conversations could save your life and also allow you to have the night that you were planning on having. If one of these guys in that video had had a glucagon kit or a, a Gvoke hypopen or even a Baskimi or whatever, uh, it would have made that TikTok way less interesting, but it would have made their night a whole lot better. And I think that they would have really appreciated having that. Having a scary low can be scary. I had a scary low in Miami not, to, and I had that conversation with the person who was with me beforehand, what to do, what to say. So preparation is key. Uh, everyone around you knowing, or just your spotter knowing also so important. And, um, I mean, I think that's the, that's the thing with diabetes though, is prep, prep, prep. Be prepared, times. be prepared, even Stay for the vigilant. uncomfortable stuff. Stay vigilant. <laughs> you are the watcher on the wall. It's like the night's watch. Oh my God. The, the night's watch pledge. Guys, I'm sorry, guys. I've oath. been digging into Lord of the Rings and, and game of Thrones and star House Wars. Of the dragon has, Oh been. my gosh. It's, it's just nerding me out on levels that I'm uncomfortable even discussing on this podcast. So let's move to the speaking, next piece. But speaking of nerding out, 
Uh, so the next piece is very nerdy to me, I think. We've had a, a series of guests on uh, that I'm really excited for. Some episodes are already out, uh, but our misdiagnosis series with Felissa, Dex Gerald, Kyleen, I know we have a few more coming, but it's been really interesting to talk to the community members who were recently or who were originally diagnosed as type two and are now LADA or type one. It's wild. It's crazy. And it's happening in black and brown communities at a rampant rate. Uh, and we talked about that on all of the episodes a fun thing uh, that's like a positive to all this negativity uh, that's happening is one of the guys in my basketball group that I play with on Saturday, who I've been playing with for really like three or four years besides the COVID times, the early COVID times, um, <laughs> Nate was diagnosed with type two diabetes. I didn't realize that. And he was misdiagnosed. So the other day he like picked up his shirt and he has one of those like insulin patches that you can like inject two units at a time. The, if you sec squeeze it. the little thingy. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh -huh. And it was right next to his Dexcom. And I was like, Nate, what do you got there? Like what's, what's going on? And uh, he was like, Oh, he's like, yeah, I, you know, used to have two type two diabetes, but apparently I was type one. And I was like, dude, you're, you're like reading my mind right now. So we're going to do a, uh, an episode with Nate uh, as well, just because, you know, when, when, when you meet me and you're my real friend and you have diabetes, you get on the pot. That's just, the, those are, those are the rules. Also, but what a life experience and why does this keep happening? Like it makes me, oh, I don't know. It makes me feel like I have rabies or something because it's just so infuriating that we're people who look like me just get dismissed. I know it happens to Caucasian people and Asian people also, but the fact that we've now done three guests, like, oh my God, now four, like, it's just a lot. It's I'm so sick of racism and I I'm tired, Rob. Yeah. And you know, I, every now and then again, I go revisit a book called the lessons of history and there's a, uh, entire section on race and history. And I was just reading about, you know, anyway, all that, all that to say, all of these things are inexorably linked. And, uh, you know, if a, overweight person over the age of 25 with black or brown skin comes into the doctor's office, please, if you're listening out there, just test them for the antibodies. It's really simple, really straightforward. And we'll help. Why can't we avoid. test everyone for the antibodies? Why can't we just test everyone? Like, I don't get it. It's not going to, you're already taking the blood. So that's my new thing. I'm just going to wear a t-shirt. It's like test everyone for antibodies. Like, ah. why not? What is the downside? What, you know, a little bit of a wasted test, like, like a doctor hasn't wasted a patient's time before. Come on. I also, I want to say something about people who have asked for the antibody test. And if you've been denied the antibody test, please ask your doctor to notate that in your chart. More than likely, they will give you the test because they don't want to put in there that they told you no. So if you're someone who's asking your doctor for something and your doctor refuses to give it to you, and you really, really think that there's something wrong, ask them to notate the refusal in the chart uh, and then try to get a second opinion. Usually that will help. I read that online and it's really helped me. So there you go. There you have it. Talk to your doctor. Okay. So the next piece, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the creator series. We've done a couple of episodes. We're going to continue to do that. And again, I think it's probably just going to become a long-term vertical of ours. I did a founder series a few years ago, and I also am a founder and a, and a creator. So I like to talk to people about their process. So one of our first episodes uh, that went live recently was with the CEO of Swoon uh, and co-founder of Swoon, uh, Jen. And we had a couple of comments. And so I want to shout out Chris Wilson, who had messaged me or, or uh, had, had added us on, in, on Twitter and is a listener of the pod. So thank you so much for listening. And he, was, he had some uh, re reactions and responses to some of the conversations around sugar and sugar causing diabetes. And I, I want to make sure that we clear that up because 
full stop, sugar does not cause diabetes in type one, type two, whatever. Uh, that is, uh, that is the fact. However, we want to make sure that we, we don't say that sugar is good for you. Uh, so because sugar right. is un unequivocally bad. So uh, that's not to say that I don't eat it. I do. I'm a human. So I'm going to have some sugar uh, from time to time. Uh, so I'm going to add a disclaimer to that episode that says, hey, you know, sugar doesn't cause diabetes. We'll have all the science in that disclaimer. But also we want to create space for people who want to be mindful of the sugar that they're drinking and not sacrifice flavor. So um, I want to make sure that People who listen to that, if you heard it and it made you uncomfortable or you wanted to say something, uh, Chris did the hard thing and he reached out to us and and said that we need to take a look at it and we have. And so be on the lookout if you want to re-listen to that episode in the next couple of weeks, that there will be a disclaimer on it. Uh, the other thing I want to I want to ask you guys, and this is another reason for this episode, to try to get a little bit more interactive with you guys again on the podcast. And I want to know what creators you guys actually want to hear from. So we have some really good ones coming up. Amy Shea, type one Amy, who is uh, the uncrowned reels queen of Instagram. Although uh, there's you know a couple of other amazing creators that we'll bring in as well. Uh, but she's certainly one of my favorite reels creators. Uh, and we've done an interview with her already. And we've got another a few awesome names on that list. So uh, if there's somebody specific you want to hear from, please reach out to either Eritrea or myself. And those are our first names at diabeticsdoingthings.com and drop us a note. I'm interested mostly to see who listens to this episode and actually emails us. So uh, this, is, <laughs> this is your chance. If you want to email us, do it. I won't ask you all the time. So please email us. Perfect. I'm. Ex I we've had some really great creators on in the past. Uh, we're gonna have some good ones. Amy is just one of them. I know Sharice is coming back. I'm so excited from Steffi from Germany and Pet Me Up Diabetes Blog. So bring me some international guests, guys. Do my job for me, please. Uh, do you have you met Steffi in person? Yeah, I have. Okay. I got to meet her. I got to meet her last week in Sweden. It was pretty awesome. Look at you with your casual. I was in Sweden. Humble brag. I know. Oops. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about more about that in a minute. <laughs> uh, right now, though, this next segment is about you, and uh, you are on Munjaro. Is that uh, how you say it? Uh, I don't know. I was going to ask you how to say it, but I'm Munjaro. You think? Maybe Manjaro. Manjaro. Yeah. <laughs> Grazie. Yeah. So um, please don't come for us, Italian listeners. We're we're sorry. Uh, Manjaro. Yeah. So. Uh, Let's talk What's about up? it. What Let's is just... it? What is it? All right. So I, I, I can is... read the definition. It's an injectable prescription medicine that is used along with diet and exercise to improve blood sugar in adults with type two diabetes. It is not known if Munjaro can be used in people who have inflammation of the pancreas, pancreatitis, and it is not for use with people in type one diabetes. So we're going to talk about this too, using these types of medicines off label at your doctor's recommendation. Uh, and it's also not known if Munjara is safe and effective for use in children under 18 years of age. So because I'm Mr. Compliance, now that I've worked with all these brands, uh, I've got to read that important safety information. So now that the important safety information is out of the way, you are using Munjaro. Here's the T. Here's what had happened. Okay. So I started a fitness journey at the beginning of starting working at diabetics doing things because it was a pandemic. Right. And I started going to the gym and like eating healthy and running and doing all these things. And I just felt like my body wasn't responding the right way. Like, I just felt like I wasn't getting the results that I needed. And also there are only so many times after a hard gym session that I can sit in my car and have low blood sugar and cry while I drink three juice boxes and eat all the calories that I just worked off before having like some more types of mental problems. So I, um, 
paired with that, like with the weight loss not happening and with having a really stressful summer, I was talking to my endocrinologist and I was just kind of telling her, you know, my A1C is a 7.3 right now. That's the highest it's been in two years since the last time I told you I had a 7 point something. My weight's not going down. I don't really know what to do. Thoughts? And she was like, well, would you like to try a terzepatide drug? And I was like, um, is it going to make my heart like beat really fast? Because I don't like things like that. I already have anxiety. And she said, no. Uh, she uh, recommended Ozempic or Manjaro. Apparently... TikTok has sold out Ozempic. It's like gone as well as some other thing called Wagovi. So she was like, let's try Manjaro. It's very expensive. Uh, I had to use a coupon thing to get it. I ended up paying like a hundred bucks for it, but I think originally it was like seven or $800 uh, for four doses. I took the first dose last Sunday. It has been one of the toughest weeks ever. My diabetes is 92% in range. Like I have had maybe one low, no highs and like perfect blood sugars, but being able to eat a meal has been a real struggle. I've kind of been surviving on oatmeal and protein shakes because that's all I can really stomach right now. Um, And staying really, really hydrated because I hear from my friends in the community, shout out Kendall, the sweet librarian, shout out Julie Heverly, that staying hydrated is like the most important thing you can do while you're taking terzepatide. Otherwise you will feel like absolute garbage. Um, the first two days were really bad. Like I just, I'm sorry, but I threw up a lot. Like it just sucked. Um, it just sucked, but now I'm a lot better and I am really anxious to take the second dose tonight. Like, I I don't know, should I do it? Should I not? It's kind of how I feel Mm. because that first day was so tough that I'm like, man, I don't even need to lose weight like that. Cause I don't, I'm not, someone whose goal was really just like weight loss, weight loss, weight loss. Would it be nice to lose three or four pounds? I'm a 30 year old woman. Of course. Do I need to, in order to like live my life? I don't think so, but my A1C is really bugging me. So I just feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. Kind of. Hmm. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for sharing and being so vulnerable about it. I, I know that there's a lot of people who are curious about trizepatide or have had conversations with their do- doctors about it. Um, so I'm hopeful for you that uh, the second dose goes a little bit more smoothly. And, and I know you'll keep us updated on the pod as we, as we continue forward, but uh, Absolutely. yeah, that's what, that's what we're here to do. And, and I think it's another, uh, another good point. Like anytime we recommend a product to you, it's something that we use. And by no means was this a recommendation of a trisepatide, but we're talking about living with diabetes as real people and the results that come along with it. So if I'm pushing a product to you, whether that's Gvoke, whether that's Medtronic, whether that's uh, yeah, Mankind or Afreza, I use that product uh, and I like it. I would never BS you guys. Uh, and I hope that you, I think, you know, real listeners of the pod and real fans know that I wouldn't do that, but also, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And, uh, you know, so if there's every, anything that you're like, mm, Rob, I don't know about this, uh, please right. comment on it, message me. I want to make sure that I'm continuing to build trust with you guys. So I think that it's really important before we move on to talk about how like I didn't know how sick I was going to get before I took the medication. So when we talk about the meds that we take and this is not a recommendation of Manjaro, like I want to I want to make that perfectly clear. This is my experience and the journey that I'm on right now and what I'm going through. But 
I think it's really interesting that most of my support came from outside of my doctor's office. Like I didn't know that the reason that I was so nauseous on Monday was because I was dehydrated until Julie Heverly and Kendall were like, Hey, like, this is what you need to do. And this is how I take my Manjaro. And here are some tips. So I think that you and I are trying to provide a perspective of people who have access to these things so that if you want to try it, talk to your doctor and go on your own journey, but this is our journey and we're just sharing it so that people can have a little bit more information. Cause it's crazy that my doctor didn't tell me like, Hey, make sure you drink a ton of water the day before, or do this or do that. So that, I mean, that's just my two cents on perspective. <laughs> no, I, I, it's very important. And again, thank you for sharing it. I, I'm interested to continue to see how it goes. I hope, and what people like Kendall uh, and others who I've known in the community who have taken trizepatides of different brand names, uh, I, I, I'm hopeful that it gets better for you as you stay on it. Uh, now, you mentioned that Ozempic is sold out because of TikTok. Uh, and there's some Kardashian stuff in there as well. Some rumors are swirling. I the heard about that. Did you well, hear about that? Uh, yes, I did hear about it because friend of the pod, Zoe Witt, actually wrote an op-ed, uh, an opinion piece for um, Glamour, Glamour Mag. And so we will link that in the show notes uh, because it is, uh, Ozempic is not approved for pre-diabetes. It is only FDA approved for type 2. So uh, it's really interesting uh, to see a lot of the misinformation that's flowing around, but we have creators and writers with diabetes who are out there setting the record straight. So uh, I will link to that in these show notes as well. I love her. I love Zoe. Shout out Zoe. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about my current diabetes stack, my current health protocols, and my current supplements, habits, and routines that I'm using not only to manage my diabetes, but just to manage me as a human and manage myself. So this is at the time of recording. It's the end of September in 2022. So if you're listening to this sometime in the future, maybe these are out of date and I'm not using them uh, anymore, but you never know. Be sure to ask me. So for diabetes, I've had type one diabetes. It'll be 18 years on January 1st. So coming up on 18 years for 15 of those years, I was on an insulin pump. I will go back to an insulin pump therapy. I identify as an insulin pumper, but this summer I took a break because we've talked about on this podcast. I had a lot of lipohypertrophy, which is what we call scar tissue from insulin injections um, under the skin. And I, I was attributing those to the usage of my infusion sets. And, and I honestly didn't rotate them enough. And I also started a new insulin. A, uh, the insulin was um, <laughs> Lumjev. I was like, why? What is oh, the, the weird, the I, weird I started, one that I haven't tried? Yeah, I, I tried Lumjev, which is a Lily product uh, and is a rapid acting insulin similar to a Fiasp. And it has a burn at, at times because part of the chemical compounds to make it work faster cause a burn. And so I was using it and it was causing more scar tissue. I'm talking like 2x at least the scar tissue and lipohypertrophy of the previous insulins that I was using. And I wasn't super concerned about it. But over time, it caused a lot of inflammation. And so I wanted to take a break so that I could give my sites time to heal. And I'm happy to report after about three months of being on uh, multiple daily injections on the InPen, which is amazing, is a smart insulin pen from Medtronic. And my lipohypertrophy is healing. My inflammation has reduced drastically. So I'm very excited to get back on the pump therapy. Probably uh, before the end of this year, uh, you guys will, will know that I'm back on the pump. So will you go back on Loomjev? Sorry to interrupt. Did you, will you go back on Loomjev? Like, will you? Uh, 
I'm glad you asked that because I will not go back on Loomjev. I'm uh, I'm currently using Humalog. Uh, my body re- responds well to it. it ha- I've used it for whatever almost the entire time. Me too. I love and Humalog. <laughs> it wor- it works great. It's all reliable. Uh, and you know, from a from a ratio perspective, it's the same as Loomjev. Loomjev is just a little bit faster. So um, I, I see no problem with continuing to use uh, Humalog, and I'm going to use it in the pump to limit that inflammation. I knew you were a psycho, but I can't just, I just can't imagine you being like, okay, I'm going to basal five units. And then just like, it burns, it burns. Like what the hell? Well, it's really annoying, honestly. And, but I did get over it and it doesn't, it's not all the time. It's usually like on a new site, you'll typically get a little bit of Loomjev burn, but um, again, it's just the aggregate compound effects. Uh, And I think that's a big part of diabetes as well. It's just like, it's not just one month. It's not just six months. It's forever. So got to be sure to take care of yourself. Uh, I'm also using uh, the CGM I'm wearing is Medtronic's Guardian Connect system. So the standalone CGM from Medtronic. Uh, my glucometer is by OneDrop. I've used them for going on six years now, and they also support that. Uh, they're a this is not a sponsored piece. They're not. I'm not a spokesperson or anything like that. But they do give me those test trips for free, and it's also a, a non-insurance option. I was finding a lot of trouble with previous test trips getting covered by different insurances, and it was just a big pain in the butt. So not only do they have a, a cool looking uh, glucometer, but the, you can buy the strips with cash. Pretty simple. And they also have some cool tech coming out. Uh, a company also owned by a person and run by a person who lives with diabetes. So cool stuff there. Uh, and I'm also using, and I announced a partnership with mankind, but I also use Afreza and I want to focus on the idea of the diabetes toolkit, because I got questions from people asking about, well, you're on injections now. Are you only using Afreza for mealtime insulin? And my answer to that is no. My breakdown of when I use Humalog versus when I use Afreza is about 90-10. I really only use Afreza for high blood sugars that I want to come down fast because I want that instant gratification. Or if I'm on a flight or in a meeting and I'm sitting down, because if I'm immobile, my injectable insulin takes a little bit longer to hit. And some, and I, again, I want that. I'm very insulin sensitive. I've worked really hard to maintain that. I want to keep it. And uh, when I have to sit there and my blood sugar stays, uh, un, you know, I'm sitting in that chair in a long meeting or I'm on a long flight and my blood sugar stays high. I hate hyperglycemia. It makes me really cranky and ornery. So I try to get out of that range as quickly as I can. And so that's what I use a Fresa for. So high carb meals, high blood sugars. Uh, that is my, that is my addition to the diabetes toolkit. And I want to talk about this because access is really important to me. And that is the focus of my partnership with Mankind and Afreza is talking to HCPs about providing to people who are on injectable insulin or who are on insulin pumps an additional ultra rapid acting insulin for these types of situations. So I was talking with a very well-known clinician and researcher, I won't name his name, but uh, at EASD. And he was telling me about some products and I was like, wow, this is really impactful. And I asked him a question. He goes, Rob, you need to remember that these products are not made for people like you. And I was like, well, that's so interesting. Like, what do you mean? He goes, no matter what product you use, you're going to optimize it to work the best for you and your diabetes. You have different goals and different expectations of this technology than an average patient. He said, but when a person who has either been disengaged with their diabetes, who the physician has really, has named as non-compliant, when they get on this technology, their outcomes are so significant that we have to make it work for the general population first. He's like, so yeah, I understand that you want a diabetes toolkit. I understand that you want all of these things. 
whatever options you have, you're going to make the best of. And so we don't really worry about you. And so uh, it was kind of interesting to kind of reframe. We talk a lot about people who listen to this podcast, people in the diabetes online community are in the 1% at the top of the pyramid of awareness and understanding of products and like what they do. Uh, and there's even like a hierarchy within that. So uh, if you feel like a product, like you're so good at managing your diabetes that a new product or, or a solution is kind of like throwing a wrench in your system, just remember it's for somebody who doesn't even have a system it's, and to make their life managing diabetes easier. So that was a really interesting thing. In your cool toolkit, don't forget your G-Book. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I do have a uh, carry G-Book with me. I have it in my bedside table. I have it in my uh, travel kit. I have the hypo pen. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I keep it around. I keep that thing on me. That's what I, that's my uh, G-Book joke. I keep that thing on me uh, because you never know. You might just be, you, might, you know, your blood sugar can go low at a moment's notice. Okay, so shifting gears into supplements and tech. Uh, right now, I'm actually in this really interesting phase with supplements. I've taken a lot of them over the years. I've talked about some of them on this podcast. I am a podcaster. I listen to podcasts. I've done a lot of podcasts. So I've heard a ton of Athletic Greens ads. And I've seen, I get the ads all over social media. My friends have done the ads on the podcast I listen to. They're always there. And I was like, okay, okay, whatever. Athletic Greens this, Athletic Greens that. And I was previously taking a different type of green supplement, a different brand of it. But when that subscription ran out, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to reward athletic greens and I'm going to start taking it. And I have to say, I take it one to two times daily. And it is amazing. It is like the gut health and, uh, metabolic health. It starts for, it's good for hydration. I use it for immunity health. Uh, and you know, for recently I've been traveling a lot. So just to give you guys an idea, Erica and I left Hawaii on Monday night. So we had a red eye to Dallas. We landed in Dallas Tuesday morning. And then we had another red eye to London on Friday night. So uh, from Monday, uh, I, I went to went to sleep Monday night in on a plane leaving Hawaii. And I woke up Sunday morning in Sweden. And I had Dallas in the, in the middle. So we were traveling a lot. And that's hard on your body. So and also, you know, the pandemic is still going. So we're really concerned about making making sure not only that we're healthy, but we're able to meet these demands of our travel schedule. And I had to speak, I had to be my best self. So I needed, I was like, I'm going to take my athletic greens. Uh, and it really did help my whoop recovery. All of that I can tell is impacted by the greens. So highly recommend. Okay. Um, so what, oh, okay. I guess I got to get some greens in my life now. Cause I traveled so much. I didn't even know I was supposed to be doing this stuff, Rob. That's why I'm, that's why I'm telling you because most people don't like flying on an airplane. I have to tell like, as much as we're used to it, humans were not designed to do that. And the pressure and the recycled oxygen, it's just bad for you. Plus the time zones, not even, don't even count the jet lag. All that stuff is really difficult. Athletic Greens is my, my number one tool for fighting that. Uh, the next thing I take every day is Thorn Super EPA. Uh, and it's like omega-3s and DHA. I listened to the Huberman Lab. We're, I'm going to tell you the podcast I listened to later. Uh, he was talking about what he thought was the best natural supplement for mental health uh, was DHA. Uh, and he recommended Thorn Super EPA. Uh, and so that's what I take. I get it on Amazon and I take two uh, capsules every day uh, along with my levothyroxine in the morning. So you guys know I have hypo, uh, hypothyroidism. So I take the once daily uh, levothyroxine. I also take the Thorn Super EPA. Those and that with the Athletic Greens are my supplement stack as of September, 2022. The most important wow. supplement that you can get for your life is sleep. It's the best nootropic, nootropic, so enhancer of brain activity. It's the best antidepressant. It's the best recovery mix. And 
I have had a chili pad from um, that th- that I heard about on Tim Ferriss's podcast maybe five years ago. I bought one in 2019, and I've used it for the past few years. But recently, Erica wanted to get one on her side of the bed as well, so we upgraded to the Eight Sleep mattress topper. And I thought that my sleep couldn't get better, but I was wrong. Eight Wait, sleep the chili pad is unbelievable. The thing, it's the thing that keeps you cold, right? That's what you said. Cause you get really hot or I don't know. Explain, yeah. explain. So <laughs> sleep is really interesting when it comes to heat and you'll need to listen to the Huberman lab or another expert to really dig into it. But sleep is all about temperature. Uh, two hours before you wake up, your body reaches its temperature minimum for the day. And so in order to get deep sleep, you need to get cold. Uh, and so as your body cools down, Uh, You feel hot, but your body's cooling down. So that's an interesting thing. Like when you're in the sauna, your body is fighting to cool itself. When I'm in the cold tub, my body is fighting to warm itself. So there's a lot of different kind of like thinking about how your body works. It's an amazing machine. But at night, if you're waking up constantly sweaty and, or you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, wow, I just like, I I'm just not in the right rhythm. uh, I would look into it. It's expensive. Uh, certainly, but again, I'm a psychopath and I love to have that cold water. I sleep with really cold. And honestly, while Eric and I are traveling, we were staying in nice places and just wishing that we had our eight sleep. We hated sleeping in the hotel beds because I was waking up in a pool of sweat, like every single night. Weird. Yeah. I, so I just, never, I, I wake up really sweaty. I never knew this information. I didn't know. I'm also like a cold person, like throughout the day. So that's interesting. And I definitely will look into it because I my sleep, I'm sorry, I'm going to say the F, my sleep is fucked. Like it is terrible. I do not definitely don't get enough sleep. So that's why we do such a good job on this podcast, Rob, because you are the absolute opposite of me. Well, I have failed. I have failed you. And that's why I'm doing this. I failed you by not making you one of my disciples. You will, your sleep will be healed. I'm like, I, we're, we're going to make this happen. Um, oh my gosh. How do I know about all this? How do I know how these things affect my body? I'm wearing the Whoop 4.0. I've worn a Whoop. I'm now a like level 27 uh, Whoop member, which is I think puts me in pretty rare territory, like almost 800 recoveries I've tracked through the Whoop. Uh, last year, about this time, I decided to take a Whoop break because I was kind of overwhelmed with diabetes data, with workout data, with all this stuff. And like all my workout consistency went through the floor. The Whoop helps me sleep better. It helps me work out better. It's, it's everything that I need from a tracking standpoint. And I've worn it for a long time uh, and I really trust it. And I really enjoy seeing the data and insights. I've learned so much. The worst thing for my recovery is alcohol. Uh, The second worst thing is dehydration. If I'm dehydrated, third thing, flying on planes, all of those things are going to have a negative impact on my recovery. So guess what? I basically stopped doing everything except travel. Uh, I don't really drink anymore. I basically only drink on guys trips uh, and you know, the, uh, I, I try to stay as hydrated as I can. I start the day with a big glass of water and a big thing of athletic greens just to get myself on the good foot. Uh, and then traveling back to the athletic greens. Like I now know I drink athletic greens before I take off. I drink one when I land, uh, I'm really doing the, uh, the work to try to make sure that my body can recover from my demanding schedule. So as we talk about routines, so that's, we've talked about diabetes tech and, and medication. We've talked about supplements and technology now routines. This is where you the rubber meets the road. Sleep is my foundation. Uh, I'm making an effort to go to sleep earlier so that I can wake earlier. 
Huge shout out to the Huberman Lab. I'm going to send Eritrea a bunch of Huberman Lab episodes after this. To talk I listen about. to it sometimes, but then they just make me feel stupid because I'm like, I'm not it, as cool as you guys. It's very scientific, very scientific. But he, he has some really amazing episodes on sleep and circadian rhythm, sunlight in the morning, mental health. Again, I'm doing all of this stuff because I, I, I struggle too. I And I'm just trying to put myself in the best position to meet the demands of my life and my crazy schedule and my ambitious goals. So uh, sleep is my foundation. I've actually found that uh, going to bed a little bit earlier uh, and, you know, but also forcing myself to wake earlier, if I can get the sunlight in my eyes, even that it eliminates a lot of jet lag. So um, that's what I recommend. Sunlight in your eyes in the morning, sunlight in your eyes during sunset, and then go to bed. Uh, once you get in that bed, make it dark, put a sleep mask on if you have to, uh, and find a way to protect your sleep. How many hours? Um, How many hours me, do we need? Uh, everybody's a little bit different. Typically seven to nine is, is the number for me. It's, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit in the middle. I, I don't feel better after I sleep more than eight hours anymore. Uh, and sometimes I feel better if I'm around six to, to seven. So it just really depends on what I need, but occasionally I will, uh, go to bed earlier. I think sleeping later really throws me off. So I'll have to go to bed earlier if I need an extra recovery. So again, uh, the routine sleeps, the foundation sunlight in the early morning. That's the way that I overcame, um, jet lag in Hawaii and in Sweden, I was up in the morning, getting that sunlight in my eyes. Your body knows what to do when the sun comes up. That's literally what powered us for thousands of years prior to technology, prior to alarm clocks, hydration, Got to stay hydrated with water. Got to drink water. That's a really, really important aspect, not only for uh, mental health and just performance, but also for your diabetes. Uh, you guys all know uh, when you're going through that checklist and your blood sugar is high, like do some squats, drink some water. Like the, the reason that your blood sugar responds in kind is because your body needs water to process uh, insulin and, you know, keep yourself moving. Um a thing that I've been doing recently, again, because of the Huberman lab, uh, is I have stopped drinking caffeine, um, until I've been awake for 90 minutes. So <laughs> what I've learned is that the way caffeine, it like basically whatever the chemical reaction is in your brain, if you have it too close to your wake time, you'll have your afternoon crash. And so then that causes me to drink more coffee in the afternoon, which then affects my sleep. And it's sort of a compound effect. So I have worked really the last three weeks. And again, like a lot of vacation, a lot of time to reset, to wait, to have my coffee until I've been awake for 90 minutes. Sometimes, uh, I don't do this. I don't do this literally every day. Like some days I just got to have that coffee right away, but, uh, 60 to 90 minutes is the recommendation. And if you can make it the full 90, I find that I drink less coffee throughout the day and that I don't have that afternoon crash. Was it hard at the beginning? Like, did you have to like mentally be like okay because i'm one of those people i don't wake up i have to have coffee because i'm just like oh i need i can't even talk to anybody i think that's the that's the the self-talk is like if once you recognize it you can say okay do i really have to have the coffee or can i can i try to get moving and wait what if i waited and so i think that's the question that i try to ask is like can i wait uh, have I, do I have enough time? Do I have enough slack in my morning schedule? Cause that's also the time where like, nobody's really trying to get a hold of you. I know you like to work out too. So there's like differences there. So, um, I don't know, again, it's an individual basis, but I have found great results thus far from, uh, from waiting a little bit until I have caffeine. Uh, okay. Going in next, cause this is taking forever. Uh, 
I exercise five to six times a week, uh, two to three times a week. I play high level intense basketball for at least an hour, uh, in a league or in my Saturday run. Uh, and that's like very demanding, very difficult, but I love to do it. So, uh, that is a huge part of it. I also will lift weights two to four times a week. Uh, I kind of consider my life like in season right now. Like when I was, uh, in high school and college, like I'm kind of playing enough basketball that I can consider that in season. So I'm working my weightlifting around my basketball. Uh, and so I end up doing that about two to four times a week. I find that if I don't do that, then I can't play my basketball because I won't recover. My body won't recover or I'll get like a tweak or an injury. So weights is really the gateway for me to be able to play basketball, which I love doing. So, and I don't want to be able, I don't want to be bad at it. Like I hate being bad at stuff. So especially things that I'm good at. So that's, uh, I, I call that weight, uh, that weight training kind of mindset microdosing, And I got that from, uh, my friend, Corey Schlesinger, who's the, uh, strength coach for the Phoenix suns. And he exercises that with the, uh, with his NBA athletes. So I, I'm trying to do that as well. And I also play golf one to two times a week. So, um, you know, just again, getting outside, getting active. You guys saw my silly reel about nature. I love being in nature. I love exploring and playing around. I'm a big nerd and a big kid. So I got to get outside. I got to be playing my sports. Got to be doing my stuff. Nature. That was the funniest TikTok a real thing that you've ever, I died. It's, but also you just do so much stuff, Rob. I do. Uh, I'm, I, I, again, I'm a psycho, so you don't have to do all this stuff, but again, I, I, the stuff that's good for you, I'm doing, and you don't have to, if you don't want to, but I just know that I'm out here doing it. Um, speaking of my cold immersion tank, I have a cold tank at my house and then I get in it six times a week. All the research says that you only need 10 to 12 minutes a week aggregate. So that's two minutes at a time, six days a week, 12 minutes, right? Uh, typically I'll sit in there a little bit longer, but I often don't go over five minutes in the tub because that thing is cold and, uh, I don't have to, the, the research says it's only 10 to 15 minutes. So I'm not, I'm not out here trying to like outdo myself, uh, this I morning series. I want to talk from the tub. Cause that talk you gave this morning from your Insta stories, you were in so much pain. Yeah. The, my voice is so funny in the cold tub because I'm freezing cold. It's very, very tough. So, uh, yeah, uh, talks from the cold tub has always been by design. What I found is that it, I'm not in there as long as I thought I was going to be, and it's way harder to talk. So, uh, cool stuff coming hopefully there. Uh, speaking of talk, I do talk therapy twice a month. Uh, I've seen my therapist for now three years. I started going to couple therapy with Erica, but prior to when we got married, uh, and, or, or really prior to when we got engaged, and that was really beneficial. And in that time, I discovered my own personal need for a consistent talk therapist. So shout out Michelle, my therapist. She's amazing. And we've done a lot of work together uh, over the past three years. Um, and then, you know, what, when you're like, Rob, you work out a lot, like, and you do your microdosing workouts or whatever, what kind of stuff are you doing? Well, I do a lot of unilateral exercise, which is uh what like single leg. So when you think of like a squat versus a lunge, I'm doing more lunging because um because of my ankle surgeries and because of just bad habits of lifting uh, and also being a very tall person, uh, my body can like compensate for itself. So I don't often get like the same um, reps and the same balance on both sides. And a good fix for that is to just do single leg and make sure that you're tracking the reps the same amount on each side. So I do a lot of single leg stuff. If you want some accounts on Instagram to follow that I really enjoy and have changed the way that I think about training and, and the th way I think about mobility, and are the reason that I'm able to get buckets at an extremely high level that I, that I continue to do. Uh, Stronger by Science, that's Max Schmarzo's account, really great. 
Schles Strength. That's Corey Schlesinger. Again, my buddy from the USOC days, highly recommend following him. Uh, Mr. Do It Moving is an MBA trainer and a movement specialist, really great account. And then Vernon Griffith, uh, his account is basically like, what if a defensive end was a yogi? Uh, it's a lot of like <laughs> hip, hip mobility, ankle mobility, knee work, uh, rotational stuff. I've taken a couple of his courses and uh, really, really, really good stuff and has made me a better athlete and uh, has elongated my career by a long, long time. So definitely check those out if you want. And you're like, okay, Rob, you listen to a lot of podcasts. What podcasts do you listen to? Uh, I listen to Huberman Lab. I listen to the Ryan Rossillo podcast. That's like sports uh, and uh, pop culture. Really love that podcast. The Rewatchables from The Ringer. Uh, is a movie podcast that I really enjoy. And I've also been listening to more Rich Roll podcasts lately. I've also tried to adapt my persona to be a little bit more like Rich Roll um, as I get older and as I you know, kind of continue to become more comfortable with my place in uh, content creation and social media. I think he's a, is a really cool voice uh, and has a really chill vibe that I also really vibe with. So those are what I typically listen to. It's the off season for basketball. During the season, I'll listen to the Bill Simmons podcast, the uh, Old Man and the Three, which is JJ Reddick's podcast. So if I'm driving, I'm listening to pods. And of course, diabetics doing things. I definitely have to listen to this so I know that I'm not just rambling uh, about who knows what all the time. What a stack. Like I, I, we have like a list of it here and it's such a long list <laughs> of things that Rob does. But I mean, must be hard to be the hardest working guy in diabetes. You really want to be Dwayne the Rock Johnson so bad, dude. Like I do, I do. Uh, you know, I this this was introduced to me at a very early age in my life, and kind of like spoken over my life was that uh, I think Aristotle or Socrates said like excellent excellence therefore is not an act but a habit, and so that's where um, I really dig into and nerd out over like what are the things that are going to make me successful? If I do them, then I'm already successful. I don't even have to do anything else. And so setting yourself up for success, I think is, is a huge part of, uh, not only a life with diabetes, but just, uh, you know, living the life that you want to live in general. That's a good so, one. Take away from this excellence as a habit. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, it's not a, it's not a one-time thing. Uh, you're gonna have to wake up tomorrow and slay the dragon, uh, one more time. Okay. So the, the last segment that I want to talk about, uh, is who is Rob Howe influencing and why? So like you said, I'm doing a lot of stuff. Uh, I have been traveling. I've been, uh, whether it's diabetes conferences or going on vacation or doing a zine or doing the North Texas food bank collaboration or working with startups and working in advertising, like what am I doing and why? Well, my, my first current state of mind, I think, is that the diabetes community is very small. And within that small space, there are a lot of people who kind of make up the different spokes in the wheel, so to speak. And I think that there's a place for everyone. I really do. But at the same time, I understand that there may be different people, different media, different experiences, like different platforms that some people vibe with other than others. So for me, I think that our audience that we've built over the past seven years uh, really vibes with what we do and really supports our causes and really champions the outlook that we have for people with diabetes and the respect that we have for people with diabetes. And at the same time, I think that there are people who don't. And what I'm here to say is that that is okay. I, I think that there is someone for everyone. 
but that for me and what I've learned over the past few years is that there are going to be things that I do that ideologies that I have just the way that I am that rubs people the wrong way. And I do not take that personally. It's just the way that things are. So what I'm doing is trying to be an example uh, and trying to be thoughtful about the people with diabetes that I represent. And whether that's through partnerships, whether that's through campaigns, whether that's through products, I'm keeping that in mind all along. And if you are a true fan of this podcast or of me, I am grateful for you. And I want to continue to evolve and continue to explore and continue to find those things that brought you here in the first place and continue to deliver them. So uh, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. And if you don't want that uh, or you aren't supportive of it and it doesn't vibe with you, um, that's fine. I'm sad to see you go, but good luck. And I think, uh, also I'm open to feedback. I think we talked earlier about, uh, about Chris who had emailed or, or had tw tweeted, uh, that he thought there was a problem with an episode. I appreciated that. A, it told me that someone was listening and B, it told me that there, uh, you know, was something that we missed and how can, and we need to really make sure that when we're putting something out there, it represents the people with diabetes that we represent. So, we're, we're going to continue to do that. Now, with that in mind, uh, I've got a lot of partnerships going on. Part of my uh, place in this space always has been, I think, as a leader. That's just who I am. Uh, that's my personality. Uh, sometimes that makes me look like an F1 driver. It's like, oh, this is a guy with a jacket with a bunch of brands on it. And it's like, yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, that is me. I'm an athlete and uh, a sponsored athlete for the, for the most part and a sponsored athlete with diabetes. And that is part of it. What I try to do with those for-profit companies is really evaluate the partnership and what they want from it and what they're trying to do and make sure that it represents you guys, the people who are my audience. But not only that, it represents myself. So uh, I think coming out of Europe, it's really different than the United States, like, uh, especially from a diabetes conference perspective. Um, there are nonprofits, for example, who vow to not take pharma money uh, and, and have, you know, been very vocal about that. T1 International, for example. Uh, there are other nonprofits in the U.S. specifically that do take pharma money and is, are criticized because people are dying because they cannot afford their insulin because of access. So where do we stand on that? My standing is we will not engage in a partnership. And if we are currently engaged in a partnership uh, with a company that meets the following criteria, we will reevaluate and potentially dissolve that partnership with a brand with human rights violations and lawsuits about human rights currently. So if you are a brand, for example, Lily Diabetes has human rights violation and the Senate Judiciary Community is investigating them, that, that is, is right there immediately I cannot work with them because they have human rights violations. If you are oppressing people, whether they're in the workplace, so it's a hostile workplace environment, or you are preventing people from getting your product for one reason or another, even if it's just the government's fault, it's not the manufacturers, which is I think a lot of people's perspective on that. Uh, it's okay. We don't have alignment. So that's what uh, that, that's the simple criteria. Yes or no, we won't work with you. So uh, with that being said, the following brands we're currently partnering with uh, on either a short-term or a long-term basis. Uh, obviously, Medtronic Diabetes. You guys know I am the uh, the spokesperson for Medtronic Diabetes. That is something that I stand by and I believe in, not only from the products, but also from the culture. Uh, in 2020, during the uh, heavy, heavy look at black lives matter and george in the in the wake of george floyd uh i was 
really afraid to that. I was like, I don't know if my partners are aligned with me in the way that I view uh, these current political events and these current events about human rights. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that I was aligned. And so uh, I kind of, I got lucky uh, because, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think some things are just meant to be uh, the, the leadership at Medtronic is committed to opportunities for uh, a diverse workplace to serve a diverse patient population. They're the only one of the device manufacturers that has funded research into underserved communities, black and brown communities to understand those disparities and try to address them. So that was really lucky for me when we, when I encountered that, but it, I felt that shared alignment of values. And so we're going to continue to do uh, work not only on the product side, like certainly pitching products is part of my spokesperson agreement, but also lifestyle and also uh, inspirational content as well for other people who uh, are out there uh, who you know need to know about insulin pumps and who need to know about CGMs. And hopefully uh, I can make a difference for them in that, in that way. Now, outside of that, there's, uh, there's a couple of pharmaceutical relationships that we have. So when you talk about uh, mankind, Mankind is was founded by Al Mann, who also founded Minimed. He invented the first insulin pump and was acquired by Medtronic like 40 years ago. Uh, Al is no longer with us. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. But uh, his companies were built to make better, uh, make the lives of people with diabetes better. And I think that uh, his mission and people who were uh, associated with him always talked about it was the person with diabetes was at the center of it. And so uh, they are a pharmaceutical company, but that's why I said uh, no human rights violations, then yes, we can work together. Uh, so uh, Afreza is, uh, I just talked about it in my stack. Uh, a big problem with it is that it's hard to get. And it's not because of cost necessarily, because Afreza and mankind have great patient savings programs that can get allow you to get it for, for less than the list price of even the analog insulins, uh, which is great. But if your insurance won't cover it and your doctor doesn't know about it, it can be very difficult for you to get access to it. So that's a big part of my partnership with mankind is talking to HCPs, talking to help telling them how to arm their patients with the information for uh, the prior authorization, uh, for asking and telling stories for people who use insulin pumps and people who uh, want another piece of technology in their diabetes toolkit to help them uh, with high blood sugars at night or high blood sugars, uh, you know, in times where they're very sedentary or eating high carb meals just to, you know, get that, uh, that dopamine hit from that slice of chocolate cake without all of the aftermath of blood sugars. So, uh, those types of stories are what I'm sharing with HCPs, uh, on the, on the backside of things, you guys won't see that, but when I'm going to an event with mankind, that's why I'm there. Uh, the next one is uh, Gvoke. I've worked with them for a long time. You guys have probably seen some of my content before uh, or heard me talk about it. Eritrea uses it as, as a patient. I also use it uh, in a non-paid capacity, uh, but the GEK kits are currently being discontinued. So we're going to be doing some sponsored podcast episodes uh, and some sponsored content on social media about, you know, the GEK uh, is, is discontinued. What are your options? And talk about Jivo, Kypopen, and my personal experience. Uh, it is the first glucagon that I used. Uh, I had not used it before. And again, uh, I had good results. It, it took my blood sugar up. I didn't have any of the side effects, uh, even though there are potential side effects. So I did want to say that something that was really scary to me prior to trying Jivo, Kypopen was the use of glucagon. There were a lot of unknowns. And working with them and working with the community, very similar to what Eritrea was saying about Manjaro, is talking with people who had used glucagon really helped me be confident enough to use it. And so I have an opportunity to be that for somebody else. I'm going to take it. 
And I think the other thing is all this stuff doesn't just come to me to enrich my life. Uh, you know, if you guys catch me on a yacht and not giving back to people and not helping people, slap me silly. Call my mom and tell her to get on my. It will catch you, bro. I will stick my foot so far up your ass, it'll come out your mouth. Like, nah. <laughs> yeah. Accountability is important. So, um, why, why are we engaging in these partnerships? What are we doing with it? Well, like we talked about earlier, diabetics doing things is changing. We are going to give more opportunities for people with diabetes to earn money. Nothing makes me more hyped from a business perspective than to give somebody with diabetes money for their art, for their passion, for their work. So I'm going to be creating opportunities to give more people like us opportunities to get paid by these companies uh, to make the stuff that they make. So Hold me accountable to that too. I'll be telling that story till I'm blue in the face, but I just want you guys to know that that is uh, what's behind these partnerships. And I pers have personal relationships with all these people behind these brands. And we are aligned in our values. We we know, uh, you know, they know where we stand and they know who we represent. And guess what? They want to work with us and uh, create opportunities for people with diabetes. So we're going to continue to do that. And it's also opened up some opportunities like this North Texas Food Bank collaboration uh, has opened an opportunity for us to help older people with diabetes, to help seniors with diabetes. We talked about it earlier in the episode, but that's something that I haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about uh, because I've been making my little content and making my nature TikToks and all this stuff. Uh, and we've been focused on tech and focused on new media, but there are seniors with diabetes who need our help. And we're going to focus on helping them as well. So I really hope that you guys are going to see and notice that Diabetics Doing Things is becoming a new kind of diabetes media company that's paying people with diabetes to make their art, that is using and entering in partnerships in a, in a thoughtful, respectful, and sustainable way, and ultimately is just trying to make uh, people with diabetes life a little bit easier, a little bit more entertaining, and uh, you know, a little bit better overall. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to close out the episode, but it's just, you said that now. So it's just so beautiful. This has been a really long one. If you've listened to this entire thing, first of all, you get a medal, but secondly, I, I just appreciate us being able to do these updates with our, with the listeners, because I know that this is information that even if one person took something away from it's a win. I also just think like build in public, uh, being transparent about what we're doing and why, uh, I want to give you guys more time. You've given me a lot of your time over the years. And, um, you know, it's been a difficult year for me, a very challenging year for me professionally and personally. And uh, the good news is uh, I'm coming out of it. What if that plateau that you're on is a foundation? I heard Robin Arzon, uh, our type one sister, uh, Peloton instructor and VP, who I honestly am terrified of and do not vibe with most of the time, except for around diabetes. She, because she has diabetes, I've listened to her stuff. She's very inspirational. And I heard her say that, like, what if this plateau was a platform? And I just felt that at the right time. I heard it at the right time on Rituals podcast. And uh, yeah, so if you're going through it right now, I hear you, I see you, I've been there very recently. And uh, just keep your head down, just keep putting one foot in front of the other and trust that uh, your hard work will pay off. Uh, and, uh, and I'm here for you. So again, email us. If you like this episode, shoot us a note. I want to hear from you. And, uh, with that, I'll see you guys next time on these amazing episodes that we have coming up with amazing people with diabetes from all over the world. See you guys soon. Bye.